0: Okay, who has loved having Pastor Joel with us this week? Joel, I, I got to say, um, I uh, posted a photo of you uh, and tagged you in it, and a bunch of people that were in my Omega class have all oh, wow, responded. wow, I didn't see that. Yeah. And, uh, well, it went, like to my dm so you wouldn't see it because oh. i posted it on my story so it goes directly unless you knew my account password that'd be kind of weird but right and uh, anyways uh, amanda lumley says hi oh good joel says hi oh, joel yes. reimer says yes. hi yes. trevor finstad he wasn't the same year but yes. he says hi as well so uh lots of people that you've impacted good. uh over the years here and so i'm very grateful for that yeah. and lots of people you've impacted this week uh, and Scott. i'm very grateful for that kim and i were talking last night we're very grateful for your leadership and ministry this week, thank you. and we couldn't thank you enough. So God bless you as you thank speak you. one more time. Thank you. Well, good morning. Yeah, it's what a what a privilege. Thank you for uh, again the opportunity, Gavin and Kim, as uh, campus pastors. Thank you for your just your kindness towards me and hosting me and making sure I'm good. And uh, to the faculty and staff, I'm just praying for you um, as you continue to invest in students. And uh, as we were worshiping, my hunch is there are some students here that don't have the support around them from their family. And perhaps some of you have parents who are not necessarily fond of you because you're here. And that can be kind of tough, right? And hard. And, uh, and so I just uh, felt uh, prompted of the Lord to share a key verse for all of you and uh, for all of us, including myself and uh, when Jesus was baptized, uh, he was starting his ministry, right? He, he was a carpenter's kid, hadn't, hadn't healed anybody yet, hadn't preached anything, hadn't uh, turned water into wine yet. Uh, Italians like that miracle. Um, sorry, that, that didn't work very well. I, uh, so... Um, When he was baptized, his Father in heaven spoke down upon him. And what he said was so critical to every one of our lives. He said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And I just pray that you hear the voice of the Father today over your life. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. And with you I am well pleased. Interesting that he says, With you, I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't done anything really in ministry, he hadn't commenced yet. But the father wanted him to know that I am validating you before you do anything. You don't have to do ministry and life in hopes of being validated one day by your dad, he has already validated you, and now you're free to serve God. In your you're gonna have great victories, great, uh, you know. F- unsuccessful things that happen but amidst it all the validation of your father in heaven will never be shaken which is so critical because as leaders if you're hoping to get that validation from others especially in ministry you might sorely be disappointed and all of a sudden your your life is all the way like a roller coaster And so your validation comes from the Father, and I just want to say in particular to those who don't have the support of your parents, God in heaven right now smiles over your life. Right now, may you sense that. For those of you who do have supporting parents, um, send them a text every once in a while. Say hello, how are you doing? Uh, I got a text at 7.30 this morning from my son, one of my sons. Can I read it to you? This is just to give you a little insight into what I deal with. (laughs) 7:25 a.m. Hey, boss. (laughs) Just checking up on my son. This is my son talking to me. (laughs) Hope you're doing well in Vancouver. Stay, stay, Stay safe and make good decisions. is this? (laughs) So I answered him. Nice. Dot, dot, dot. Always doing my best to make good decisions. Trying to walk in my father's steps. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. Anyways, that's just... uh... So say, send send a message to your parents. So uh, what are we talking about today? An urgent harvest. Just felt I wanted to end uh, this spiritual emphasis days with a real important message as to why we are here. Why churches exist. Why Bible colleges exist. Why districts exist. Why churches. Why ministries. What, are, what is this thing all about? Matthew chapter 9, so if you have your Bibles, go there, because we're going to dive into this chapter, okay? Please, as leaders, as you minister to youth groups and stuff, make sure the Word of God is the center of everything you do, okay? I believe there's a famine in the land, in a land of plenty, and the famine is because the Word of the Lord is no longer spoken and preached, and we share ideas, and cool ideas, but... um, The Word of God must be central in all that you do in your life and ministry, okay? So just um, be a student of the Word and uh, be a minister of the Word. And so Matthew chapter 9, I love this chapter uh, because it gives us just a little uh, glimpse into a day in the life of Jesus. And if you like action and action movies, you'll really love this chapter because it's it's fast, it's, it's moving, and there's lots going on, and so the point to it will come to a culminating apex of what this whole chapter is really about, uh, but I want us to journey together, and so I want us to pretend right now we're on the sideline of the ministry of Jesus and the life of Jesus, and I want you to pretend you're right there and you're watching, you're one of the disciples, and you're watching and listening to the Master, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus stepped into a boat, and he crossed over, and he came to his own town, and some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And so he just got on a boat, he gets off the boat, and immediately following his disembarkment of the boat, he is brought to him a paralyzed man, and so when Jesus saw his, or their faith, he said to the man, "'Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven.'" Interesting thing to say. He's got obvious physical uh, limitations. His need is physical from looking at him. He's paralyzed. And the thing that Jesus says is, hey, son, your sins are forgiven. Interesting, because God sees the greater need. And more than a physical need, this young man needed to encounter the grace of God upon his life. Now, because he said that, your sins are forgiven. Of course, it says in verse 3 that the teachers of the law uh, heard this and said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Who but God can forgive sins? Right. Whom but God can forgive sins? Who does this rabbi think he is? There's so many rabbis that are coming in and through town. This rabbi is saying that he's forgiving sins. How blasphemous. And so, of course, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Why do you entertain such evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And then the man got up, went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. What I mean, that in itself is already a powerful day, don't you think? He got off a boat. Next thing you know, he's forgiving the sins of this young man. And next thing you know, he's healing this young man. I mean, call it a day. That's a pretty great day, don't you think? It's a highlight day. It's a win day, remember? That's a win. But look look what happens next. As Jesus went on from there, and and I want you to take note of that phrase because it's going to come up. While Jesus, as Jesus, as Jesus went on from there. As he went on from this, this, this paralyzed man circumstance and then having to respond to the religious leaders. He went on from there and he sees a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector booth. And he goes up to Matthew and he says, hey Matthew, follow me. Matthew got up and followed him. Next thing you know, the next scene is that Jesus is in Matthew's house. And, and Matthew is a tax collector. Uh, tax collectors did not have a good reputation. They were kind of scammers. They they were not well-liked because of that. Uh, and, and so they they, they they were not who the Christian community would necessarily want to belong to or be connected to. And Jesus is in Matt's house. And, of course, Matt brings all of his buddy tax collector friends. And now Jesus is smack dab in the middle of sinners and tax collectors. He just got off the boat. And now he finds himself in a tax collector's house having dinner with all his tax collector friends. Well, of course, the religious leaders are always around. And so verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, it's interesting that religious leaders always talk to everybody else except the person that they're talking about. Religious leaders tend to always want to have multiple conversations except for going to the person they need to be really talking to. And they go to the disciples and Why is this rabbi of yours spending time with such people, such sinners? Well, verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus responds. He interjects the conversation, seeing it's about him. It is not the healthy who need a doctor but it's the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. I have not come to call the righteous but I have come for sinners. He just had gotten out of the boat. Paralyzed man had been brought he heals the heart of the paralyzed man, then has to respond to the religious leaders because of the blasphemy claim, and then he heals the paralyzed man. He moves on from there and calls Matthew as one of his disciples to follow him. Next thing you know, he's in Matthew's house having dinner with all the tax collectors, and as he's investing in them, the Pharisees show up again, to interject the conversation, what kind of a... What kind of a rabbi is this? He has to respond to them. He teaches them, reminds everybody. The whole point to this is because I've come for sick. I've come for the unrighteous. I've come for sinners. Notice what happens next in verse 14. Then all of a sudden, John's disciples walk in. He gets interrupted yet again. He's telling them, I've come for the unrighteous, for the sick. I've come to heal the sinner. And as he's explaining this, John's disciples walk in. And John's disciples say, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Ooh, the religious pride and arrogance. We are more spiritual. Look at us, we're fasting. Look at us, we're tired and weak and we haven't combed our hair, and you know we're hungry, but we do this because we're dedicated. And Jesus looks at them,' He's like, "You guys don't get it. The fact of the matter is Jesus, the Son of God, is actually in the room, and now is not a time to fast. Now is a time to feast. <laughs> After all, isn't fasting feasting on God? It is. And so Jesus is like, I'm actually in the room right now. Now is the time to rejoice. Now is the time to celebrate. You're missing the fact. You're missing the point of fasting. The fact is that God is in the house right now. While, verse 18, again, under, while he was saying this, interruption number what? Five? Five? While he was saying this, now all of a sudden a synagogue leader came in, kneels before him and says, Hey, my daughter has just died, but come put your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus gets up from the table, went with him, and so did his disciples. Wow, I mean, this this is incredible. He had just got out of the boat, Gavin. He just got out of the boat he had a paralyzed man brought. He, he forgives him of his sins, then has to respond to the Pharisees because of the blasphemy allegation. Then he heals the man. Then from there he calls Matthew. Matthew follows. He's in Matthew's house. He's investing in Matthew's friends. He's come. Why? Because he's come for the sick, the unrighteous. He has to respond to those Pharisees. Then John's disciples show up and say, hey, where's the fasting? And so he asks, talks to them. You guys are doorknobs. The fact is, We're feasting right now. I'm in the house. And as he's telling them, the synagogue leader comes in and says, Hey, my daughter's dead. Why don't you come over? (laughs) Hi, hi, (laughs) hi. So he gets up and he's on the way. Ready? Verse 20. He's en route to the synagogue leader's house. And just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, comes up behind him and touched the edge of his garment. He's en route to doing ministry. He's on the way to the synagogue ruler's House, and all of a sudden, a lady who is desperate, she's tried everything, she's gone to every doctor, she's tried every remedy, and she's still suffering of this of this disease, and she's fighting through the crowd. And she says, If 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 only I can touch the hem of this rabbi, maybe, maybe this will be the answer. And so she does, and power gets released out of Christ, and she's healed. And Jesus senses that power has been released from him. He says, Who just touched me? His disciples are like, duh. There's so many people around here. Who knows who touched you? And he looks down and he sees her. He sees her. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that very moment. He continues on. Remember, he's en route to the synagogue leader's house. And he sees a noisy crowd and people playing pipes and Not smoking pipes, playing pipes. And he says, go away. The girl is not dead, but she's asleep. But they laughed at him. Now, uh, you know know that there's going to be moments in your ministry and life, and maybe you've already had them, that people are going to laugh at you for believing what you believe. For doing what you're doing for being committed to being trained and following the call of God in your life, there's always going to be people around that are going to be like, what are you doing? They laughed at him. Jesus, the Son of God. They laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through the entire region you ready for verse 27 here's the phrase again as Jesus went on from there Jesus you need a break I mean you know like just just lock yourself in a room for goodness sake like just don't walk anywhere As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling him, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked them, Do you believe, he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. So what did they do? They told everybody in the region. Why did Jesus tell them? Don't tell anybody because he knew that the more people knew about him, the closer it would be to his death. Here it is. Ready? 32. While they were going out. Come on. Come on. When is this going to end? A man who was demon-possessed now. Sure, why not? (laughs) Could not talk, was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons there will always be people no matter what they see no matter of the power of god that is assuredly around them will continue to live in unbelief i don't know about you but that's that's quite the day he he just had got out of the boat gavin remember come on what happened got out of the boat help me what happened Paralyzed man came. I forgive you. What did he say? Blasphemy. Relax, relax. Just so you know that I'm just no ordinary rabbi. Stand up, my son. Walk. And as he went on from there, Matthew, come on. It's time. Let's go to your house. Matthew invites all of his friends. Why is this man with such people? Oh, let me answer that question for you, seeing you're talking to my disciples. I have not come for the healthy. I've come for the sick. That's the whole point. Uh, excuse me. Why aren't you guys fasting? Just like us? Because I'm in the house. It's time to feast. Uh Sir, my daughter has just died. Can you come? Let's go, guys. Disciples, up. Let's go. Jesus, we've already had a full day. Come on. Off they go. And en route to the man's house, woman with internal bleeding. Boom, healed. Gets to the house, stops the funeral, stop the pipe playing, the flutes, whatever else they were blowing. Stop. She's not dead. She's alive. As they went on from there, a blind man. Two blind men come. He heals them. Don't say anything. They do it. Demon-possessed man, mute. He restores them. Now watch the whole point of the chapter. Are you ready? Here it is. Here's the point of Matthew chapter 9. Jesus went through all the towns, all the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. He kept doing this. Day after day after day, and the disciples are with them. And then he said in verse 36, so here's the moment. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And finally, and he, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man, which means he did get tired. He did get hungry. And I don't know how he said these last few words in this chapter. I don't know if his hands were on. What a day, right? I don't know. He's just like this, maybe. And he's like, okay. Guys, girls, the disciples, the harvest, if you haven't noticed, the harvest is... Plentiful. <laughs> you just got to get out of the boat and look out and watch and listen. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. All of a sudden, those two verses are pretty powerful, aren't they? When you understand the context, hermeneutics 101. Two very simple points this morning as we end spiritual emphasis days, but begin a life of spiritual emphasis. The opportunity in the text is very simple. The harvest is plentiful. Many times, I, I, I'm with pastors, and sometimes, you know, they for whatever reason, they're, they're frustrated or jaded, and they say, oh, this generation, this, this world, it's just so dark, and, you know, what's the, the... The challenge is not the world in this text. The harvest is actually plentiful, according to Jesus. The challenge is not that there's no harvest according to Jesus. The opportunity that you and I have in our day is incredible. The harvest is plentiful. Another translation says, The harvest is white. That's important. Because a white harvest is very unique. A white harvest is a harvest that's about to be lost. It's on the back end of harvest season. And if you don't go out there and harvest it, it'll fall off and decay. So when Jesus is saying the harvest is plentiful, the harvest is white, he's saying there's an urgency. Time is of the essence. Time is of the essence. Good eschatology teaches us we are in the end times, which should compel us outward to a lost world like never before. Now, I know you're young, and, and, and there's a thought, man, I've got my whole life ahead of you. But in this case, Jesus is saying there should be an urgency in all of our lives that today is the day of harvest. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Today is the day of harvest. This morning, my phone started ringing really early and uh, been on the phone most of the morning. We lost one of our 25-year-old young adults in one of our churches, tragically, trying to manage and serve that situation, you don't know what tomorrow holds. And I don't say that to scare you or inflict fear. It's just the fragility of life, right? God is asking you to engage the opportunity of harvest, not in four years or even in another one year when you graduate and maybe, you know, I'll settle down and when I'm ready. And No, 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 no. He's saying to the disciples, hey, you saw what today was like. It's all around you. Now, the question is, are we willing to be interrupted? In my experience, some of the most powerful moments in my ministry was while I was going somewhere. While I was flying to BC. While I was going to that church to preach. And I interacted with this person and that person and that person while I cut my grass and Brian is waving on the rove. Remember Brian? He's my, neighbor. He's my neighbor. If you missed last night. Do you record these, by the way? Oh, well, listen to it online. While, while he was going, needs would come. I think it's in those moments where God wants to see your availability, when it's inconvenient. God is not into professional preachers, professional speakers. I've now arrived. I need a Starbucks as I get out of my car. Who are you when you're at the grocery store? Who are you in that restaurant when you go to Red Robins with your... uh, Do you guys still go to Red Robins? We used to, like, live off of those fries. Maybe not. Okay, maybe it's different now. Maybe you're more healthy. Yeah, you do? Okay. Wendy's? Wings! Even better. Wherever you go, while you're going to student ministry, while you're going overseas with Omega, while you're on the bus going to the next ministry event, what Jesus is saying to the disciples, ministry is not at a designated time. It's your whole life. It's your whole life. The opportunity is massive. I don't know what the latest stats are. Maybe Wilf will know this. But I think I read somewhere there's 1.6 million people on the earth who still have not heard of the name of Jesus. The harvest is ripe. That's the opportunity. The challenge is that the workers are few. That's the challenge that Jesus says to the disciples. And what we are to pray for is for laborers. People who are willing to do the work of God on earth, empowered by the Spirit. People who are willing to continue on the ministry of Jesus today. Those are few. Do you know why the laborers are few? Okay, this is why... You work hard in getting an education, okay? This is why you spend however many thousands of dollars to be here. Okay, you ready? The laborers are few because it involves labor. Isn't that amazing? It involves labor. Anybody here grow up in a farm? Agricultural kind of? No? Okay, good. Uh, this will really be an easy illustration for you to understand. <laughs> um, harvest: the farmer actually has to go out to get the harvest. I've never met a farmer who plants and watches the harvest grow, and then sits on his porch say, "Come on, corn." He never wakes up expecting the corn's going to be all nice and prepared and stacked on his porch after all. He, he doesn't wait for the harvest to come to him. He has to go pick it. He has to actually go labor. He actually has to go himself. And that's what Jesus' point here. The whole point to all of this stuff that we do, colleges, districts, sometimes we forget. It becomes the machine. And we forget the whole reason. And the point is, Jesus has not come for the healthy. He's come for the sick. He's come for you and I to have an urgent call to reap the harvest. That's the whole reason why we're here. Don't ever forget it. That's why we get up in the morning. That's why we go to class. That's why this school exists. To help you, equip you, train you to not only one day reap the harvest, but to give you opportunities now to reap the harvest. I pray for Omega as you go overseas, that you will see a harvest. That you will lead people to Jesus. That you will lead people like Alex on the steps of the the Hong Kong waterfront. I know you're not going to Hong Kong, right, Jason? Wherever you're going. I'll conclude with this. Um, I was trying to think back of all the the, the beautiful moments uh, that I had here with our students and um, I remember uh, being in one city and we were helping them launch a new church plant. And so uh, we were helping them do all the groundwork and and inviting to this launch day and an event and our team was prepared with dramas and testimonies and we had rented a facility, we were ready to go. And then about two days before the event, the landlord canceled the lease and we had nowhere to launch the church. Now that's bad. And I remember our students, myself, the church planner, we were all like devastated. We did all this work. Why did God send us all the way over here to do this? And now we have no place to launch the church. So I remember us walking down the road, and I was, it was just me and the church planner. The students were back at the hostel, and we're trying to figure out what are we going to do now. And so as we're walking the road, the, uh, the, 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 we're walking the street, and I look up and I see this sign. And the sign said, the Dolly Club. Just think about that. And I said, hey, what is this? The Dolly Club, and he's like, puts his head down. He's like, just keep walking, Joel. And I said, no, what is this? And he says, this is a strip club. It is the local strip club. And I said, I wonder if they'll let us use it. He's like, are you nuts? I said, whoa, do you have any other options? He's like, no, well. So we knocked on the door. The establishment was closed, okay, relax. (laughs) It was daytime. We knocked on the door. What do you know? The owner of the Dolly Club is there. And he comes to the door, and I said, hey, I introduced myself. I'm from Canada. We came all this way. I'm trying to use all the manipulative tactics you can possibly think of at this point. And uh, we're looking for a place, and we're launching a church. And I'm thinking, I wonder if we can rent your space. And he's like, are you like, do you know who you're talking to? And I said, and he says, why don't you come in? And we went in, and we looked around. Again, it's closed, okay? And um, uh, it's, it, it had about 150 seats and a stage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was a unique stage because there was a pole in the middle of it. <laughs> so... Um, we, you know, I, I, at this point, I, you know, we traveled all this way, and so I, I, I said, I'll pay for the lease, you know, whatever we need to do to make this happen, and so he agreed, and he was going to shut the establishment down for that night to let us use it for our event. So then we went crazy. We went, we, we plastered the community. We went back to all the places we had invited people, telling them that this launch night has now changed. It's at the Dolly Club. <laughs> this is this is so i had to also cast the vision to our students about this dolly cub adventure <laughs> and uh, so i said this is what we're going to do the, the day of the launch where we are not just showing up an hour before we're going to get there in the morning and we're going to pray up a storm we're going to pray around that building we're going to pray in the building we're going i'm not a big like i believe in anointing people not buildings but this building i anointed all others everything <laughs> Okay, Prayed all day, and the students are like, like, this is insane, man. My parents are going to be ticked about this if they find out. And and so uh, I I didn't even know if anybody was going to come. How is this going to shake down? Okay, doors open, a few trickle people come in, and within half an hour, the place is jammed packed. Okay? Remember it like it was yesterday. 150 people in the dolly club. And our students are gonna do their dramas. I don't know which dramas you guys do, like Sin Chair and all this, <laughs> and the Dolly Club. Like this is insane. And so uh, they do their testimonies, and I at the end I come up and I preach the gospel, and I give an opportunity, and, and I'm on the stage. Okay, I'm preaching the gospel. <laughs> True story. True story. I'm holding this pole. And I'm preaching the gospel in the Dolly Club. I don't think uh, Mark and these guys even know about this. I don't work here anymore, so who cares? But uh, So, and it comes to the end, and uh, I, 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 I say, come. Come to the front to accept Jesus and no joke 60 people accepted Jesus in their life. Wow. Yep. Yeah, give the Lord praise. It's a true story. And I remember I'm standing on the stage and they're kneeling and they're weeping and they're receiving Jesus. And and that day we had a young leader and, and we introduced them as his their new pastor and we prayed over him and, and anointed them. And that day in the dolly club, we launched a church in a community where there was no gospel presence. Why do I share that story? Because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Maybe I can ask the worship team, we have 11 minutes. Would you come up and help me here? Could you stand with me? It has been such a joy for me to be here. I love you guys. Um, I'd love to continue to, to, to uh, pray for you and encourage you. You can find, uh, uh, I'm on Instagram, would love. If you follow me, I'll follow you back. Again, I don't have make money in how many people follow me, so you don't need to worry about that. I just want to pray with you, for you, if there's anything we can do to serve you. But in this holy moment, think of Matthew chapter 9. God has put a calling over your life. And the whole point to this thing, the whole point to why we exist is because we need to lead people who are far from Christ to Jesus. It's really simple. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as you go, know this, that God is with you. And I believe the reason why there are dark places in our planet is because the light has never been willing to go there. Where there is light, darkness has to flee. Where there is the freedom of the Lord, where there is the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. Jesus, I thank you for this student body. I thank you for every student, every teacher. I thank you for Summit, the impact it has had in generations of ministry. Thank you for its impact on my life. But right now, Lord, I just pray for every student that's in the house tonight, today, that they would be compelled by the Holy Spirit. I just think of Acts 20, 22, 24. It says, Paul says, I am compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem The word compelled there means I'm in chains, I'm in bondage, I'm irresistibly aroused. I can't help myself but to go to Jerusalem. And the only, I don't know what awaits me there, Paul says. I don't know what that's going to look like. The only thing I know is that the Spirit of God is telling me that imprisonment and hardship awaits me. But I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I can finish the race and testify of the grace of God over my life. We need students and pastors and leaders who are compelled, like Paul was, to go to Jerusalem in bondage to that calling. I can't do anything else but that to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And so in this moment, all over this room, if you want to come up to the front and say, God, I'm all in. I'm putting my chips to the center. Wherever you take me, I'm in. Empower me by the Spirit. Because the harvest is ripe. Count me in. I'm one of your laborers. Count me in. Would you come? Find a spot. We've got nine minutes. Let's worship the Lord. Would you lead us?